Hello everyone, I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Ryan Warner. And we are the Movie Knights. Well, some of them. If you're watching this, it's because you want to hear our uncensored and unfiltered thoughts and opinions about the world of movies. So kick back, grab a snack, and thank you for being a part of the conversation. We'd like to take this moment off the top of the show to thank our partners, the Great Movie Radio Show and the Podcast City Network. You can find their links in the description below. Not only did I nail that opening, I'm also getting better at talking slower. Yeah. I've been told that when I talk, it's a mile a minute, and sometimes it's hard to understand me. Which basically means these 30-minute episodes are now going to be an hour. Pretty much. But that is fine, <laughs> as long as people understand us. You have to make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think talking slower is only a yeah. beneficial thing. I'm, I'm going to try. At yeah. some point, I'll catch myself and be like, damn it. No. Yeah. And then I have to start all over again. But uh, Ryan, nice to see you again. How are it, you, sir? It, it's good. It, it's going good. Uh, I've been watching a few movies, especially no, for Franchise no, Spotlight. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> No great. fucking idea. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've been pretty much doing the same. Uh, kind of busy trying to you know schedule our next short film mm-hmm. shoot, which is going to be fun. But uh, yeah, no, I'm just chilling like a villain, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. So uh, why don't we go right, go ahead right off the top and start with the uh, movie news, shall we? Let's do it, dude. I don't know if you guys can see, but it's been forever since I've had the laptop on the show. But you know what? I felt like for nostalgia purposes, why not bring this bad boy back? You know. And uh, as I do every time when I start the show, I should have pulled up the stories <laughs> ahead of time. So I'm just gonna continue speaking in a manner. In which I can just easily figure out. Well, I have the first story pulled stories. up right here that comes from us from the Hollywood Reporter, uh, talking about how Disney is scheduling Mulan, Avatar, and Star Wars. They're all pushing it back a year. Go ahead and talk about that, my guy. Yeah. So obviously, Mulan was supposed to already come out, but unfortunately, due to uh, COVID nineteen being a global pandemic, um, everything was shut down, including movie sets and uh, movie releases were all pushed back. Uh, it's really unfortunate that Mulan is, you know, getting pushed back and all these movies are uh, because I just I, I want to see them. I've had the itch to watch new movies and uh, I heard rumors, whether they're true or not, that Mulan may just go straight to Disney Plus. I hope that's not the case. I hope that they give it a proper theatrical release. I think they will. For sure. You think it'll get a proper theatrical release, especially yeah. with all the money they dumped into it? Especially how, how much money America and China dumped in this movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, it ain't going straight to streaming. But, uh. I'm scrolling through other stories, and we can kind of combine them. Yeah. And basically, just tons of movies gotten pushed as a result of COVID getting worse and Tenet continually pushing its release date. Movies such as Spider-Man 3, uh, Avatar 2, Quiet Place 2, all the way to next year, and Top Gun Maverick all the way to next year as well. Mm -hmm. So tons of movies are biting the dust on this. And uh, it's looking like movie theaters aren't going to be open for a while yeah which is super unfortunate is super and it's sad. it's interesting too because we were talking about it before the show started uh about oscars and if they may or may not happen and you said uh what did, what did you say exactly i basically said i wouldn't be surprised if they cancel the oscars and then just make the 2021 and or 2020 and 2021 movies eligible for the 2022 oscars mm-hmm. which would be a stacked year I don't and understand. Then, and then we, we couldn't make an Oscar reaction video yeah. like well, last time. We'll think of something, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll have something up our sleeves. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it is super unfortunate watching all these movies get delayed and released. But, you know, at least one positive to this is hopefully they take their effing time with these movies and make them as good as they could be. Yeah. So, I mean, some of them are in the can of completely done. Which, which I mean, that's fine. But, like, yeah. as far as, like, 
pushing back Star Wars because mm-hmm. I know Taika yeah. has started mm-hmm. pre-production on writing for his Star Wars film. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping that yeah, I love they the... take this time and really flesh out everything yeah. to get a, to give us as good movies as we can. And speaking of just, you know, Taika, a lot of the Marvel films have been pushed back as well. Mm-hmm. And I know that Colin Trevorrow, when speaking about Jurassic World 3, recently restarting production, he called the delays like a blessing in disguise because he's like, you can never have more than enough time to work on something before you start shooting. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, so I can see anything that hasn't been completely done or started shooting or people are really happy that they get to, you know, take the time to work on them more, especially in, you know, such weird times at the moment. Yeah. And, uh, it'll be a long time before we see anything go back to normal. Um, which is unfortunate, but the only way things can go back to normal is if we do our part. Um, but going on to the next story that I wanted to bring up is Tom Cruise that going man to is space. Fucking nuts! Is what we're <laughs> he is. Uh, what studio is? Oh, Universal. Of course, it's Universal. <laughs> they they want to they want to shoot a movie in space. Yes, which but... doesn't seem that far out. But no? the fact that they'd have to send people to space, they'd have to send equipment to space. Specifically, they're going to put Tom Cruise in a little rocket and just and which. Like, honestly, what other actor would be willing to go to space to shoot a film? Because, like, Tom Cruise prides himself on being authentic with his stunts, with his action scenes. So, it only makes sense. Like, what else could Tom Cruise do? He's done halo jumps. He's He's hung hung off the buildings. He's held onto a plane as it's taken off. Naturally, the next step is space. space. And uh, Doug Lyman's going to be directing the film as well. He's a very, very great filmmaker. Makes movies like Edge of Tomorrow, The Bourne Identity things of that nature. Um, I know that when Colin Trevorrow was making Star Wars Episode Nine, he wanted to do this first, but just have like one shot or two in space. Mm-hmm. But it looks like n- not a whole ton of this movie is going to be shot in space. Like I said, it might, like the Episode Nine situation, it might just be a couple shots. Yeah. But, however, it's really looking like they're really committing to making it happen. And uh, I think in, in the article I'm reading from Variety, it says um, they're getting... Uh, cooperation from nasa and spacex to make it happen so which is nuts a movie that is going to be shot in space and i don't know how much of it's going to be shot in space but anything more than zero is impressive so yeah again like i said you're gonna have to shoot equipment up there you're gonna have to shoot directors you're gonna have to shoot actors you're gonna have to shoot sound people like who knows how many people they're gonna have to shoot up there to even get a single shot you know like it's gonna take a lot of uh, collaboration from a lot of different parties mm-hmm. yeah no it's gonna be it's gonna be rather interesting um go ahead and moving on to our next story um more stuff about the snyder cut because you know that's all we like to talk we about. can never get enough of that honestly um zach snyder recently just let some new details about the his version of justice league coming to hbo max next year mm-hmm. happen at a thing called justice con it was like a thing that a couple fans were holding and they actually interviewed Zack snyder for the movie said a lot of interesting things and showed us off some stuff that i want to get into yeah first of all showed us a clip with the black suit superman which was super cool uh really excited to see that when it's fully done <clears throat> excuse me um also in hilarious fashion he's very careful with his words like, he'll never, ever say anything bad about Joss Whedon, mm-hmm. but he will say, like, oh, things I didn't shoot or anything that was made after I left, you know? and um, Kind of getting around the bush. Yeah, and one of the fans asked him, uh, are, are any of Joss Whedon's shots going to be in the movie that you made? And his response was, 
I would burn the film reels before I put something in the film that I didn't photograph. And then went on to say, that is hard fucking fact. <laughs> so, Hey, man, he is passionate about his work and he's passionate about this film. A lot yes. happened during this shoot, so yes. naturally he is going to be passionate. Yes, and he talked a little bit just about the restoration, how they're you know going back and redoing the aspect ratio that he initially originally wanted, mm-hmm. doing a ton of that. He said right now it's at 214 minutes, but it could be longer. Which is absolutely insane and to he, think about he did say that at dc fandom the event in the end of august he said that on that day you will find out if the snyder cut is going to be a series or if it's going to be a movie oh wow he said that question will be answered then so it's that's looking, a lot of footage it's to make looking a series. like it could be end up being a mini series and from a budget standpoint spending seven seventy million dollars on a movie is kind of expensive when that's already technically come out, but spending 70 bucks on a four episode series, five episode series, that's, that's relatively normal for any big budget show. Mm-hmm. So I, who knows? We could see how that really plays out. Maybe there's an option for both. Wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's nuts to think about. Cause like whenever you look at his Watchmen, like ultimate cut, mm-hmm. which there's the theatrical one, the uh, director and then ultimate yeah. Which sounds like he's kind of taking the ultimate route on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, that cut of Watchmen, I think, is like three or four hours. Yeah. Like, it's insanely it's long. long. And uh, something else that I find kind of interesting about it is I would hate this as a consumer, but now that I'm thinking about it from a marketing standpoint, if they did a weekly by weekly episodes mm-hmm. of the Snyder Cut, like you get part one, 45 minutes, or however long they want it to be. And then on social media, everyone talks about it. And then the next week, they drop another episode. So it's going to stay in, like, the pop cultural consciousness for, like, weeks if you do it as a split-up series. And especially if you don't drop it all at once. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we found with The Mandalorian. When The Mandalorian went on Disney+, Plus, you know, a lot of us thought, oh, it's going to be like Netflix. And they're going to drop them all at once. But they didn't. They did it weekly. And because of that, Mandalorian stayed in the consciousness of pop culture for months. But I think Justice League is a little bit different because it came out in 2017. All that uh, behind-the-scenes stuff happened in 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. And it's been part of the conversation for three years now, four years now. Yes. So it's like... That's true. It, it, it's it's a different yeah. battle. Yeah, and trust me, as a consumer, I would much rather, whether it's a series or movie, I'd much rather watch it all at once. Absolutely. And it, getting specific, I'd like to see it as just a long-ass movie. Yeah. But... We're getting it, so I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah. But at, and, the, but at the same time, from a marketing perspective, I could see the reasoning behind dropping it week to week. Yeah, which I totally get because, like, you're just going to get free marketing by word of mouth through people. But then again, you know, like I said, it's been part of the conversation for three, four years now. Once it gets released, you know it's only going to be part of the conversation for even longer because, you know, for all we know, people may think that this is even worse than the theatrical one that we, that we got or people may think it's absolutely fantastic, you know. So it's. I feel like it's going to be part of the conversation for a little bit longer, maybe not a year, but within a year, I think it's going to stay in conversation if they release it just as a movie. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. And, you know, either way, I'm glad it's finally happening. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's looking like it's going to be something to, excited to look forward to. Let's go ahead and move on to the last story we have planned for this segment of the show. Uh, more news on Tenet. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, Warner Brothers has announced their rollout plan for Tenet. And basically, it's going to open overseas in the end of August in the f- Europe and um, mostly European and maybe Chinese markets with the ones that are open. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's going to drop in whatever theaters are open Labor Day weekend in the U.S. 
And uh, so we haven't gotten full confirmation as to how many theaters will be open at that time. But a couple of theaters, both Regal and um, Cinemark, have said that they're going to be playing it in whatever locations they have open. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see um, at what point we'll get to see it. I believe Canada's going to get it early if you want to take a road trip. (laughs) Yeah. If they even let us in, who knows? Yeah. But, but yeah, no. uh, Obviously, it's been said numerous times that we've both been looking forward to Tenet. Um, However, I... Really, really hope that it plays at the theater that the one Cinemark that's open in Orlando mm-hmm. wasn't mine, but I hope that it's uh, open at some point. Yeah, and um, you know, even if it's not, you know, we'll find out a way to watch the movie when it's safe for everybody. But uh, just what are your thoughts on the rollout plan for Warner Brothers on Tenant? And do you think other big blockbusters like Wonder Woman eighty four or Mulan could follow in this process? I think depending on how much money they make. Because uh, obviously, when you look at like the box office return, you have like domestic, which is just United States, and then international, which is literally every country outside of the U.S. Which I think, depending on their return, they other movies may follow suit. Which is very strange because usually movies always open here first, and then a week later they'll open up in the world. Or if they open up in the world, it's like two days before. Like yeah, it's not like, yeah. Like it's it's a very close release date, but. Uh, this sounds like it's going to be a much larger window between us getting it and the world getting it, which, yeah. um, you know, other countries around the world have their recovery process in place, yeah, so it makes sense to give them the movie. They've been doing better. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, they deserve to see it early, so, you know, good for them. Yeah. But also, um, I could see other blockbusters doing this as well, especially since, like, Wonder Woman 84 is another Warner Brothers movie. Because, mm-hmm. like, Tenet is not going to make a bunch of money in its opening weekend. But I think in its overall total, as l- for as long as they keep it in theaters, you might see it rack up some money a- at the end for the studio. Well, especially with... I'm sure other countries are still social distancing with theaters yeah. and restaurants and, out- and mm-hmm. outdoors uh, areas. So I feel like it's going to have legs, legs that we haven't seen mm-hmm. before, but it's not going to make like Avatar or Endgame money with those legs. It's just mm-hmm. going to make money because, you know, if you have a auditorium that has 100 seats, but you can only sell 50 or even 25 of those seats, you have people who will want to rewatch the movie and then people who still haven't seen it weeks after its release, you know, so... It'll definitely have the legs to keep going and make its money. But like you said, it's not going to have that explosive uh, first opening weekend. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm going to throw in just a last-minute story, but yeah. it kind of ties into this one. Okay. Uh, the New Mutants had their... What movie is that? <laughs> the New Mutants had their Comic-Con at Home panel, Okay, which was a lot of fun. And they joked at how many release dates the film had. But at the end of the panel, and as of this recording, August 28th is their release date for th- a theatrical release. And Josh Boone has been interviewed saying that there's contracts in place where it has to be a theatrical release. That's why it hasn't gone too straight to streaming, one mm-hmm. of the reasons. And also, with Tenet moving to the Labor Day weekend, early September, for American audiences, with New Mutants opening at the end of August, and with AMC saying that they plan on opening all their locations by mid-August... New Mutants could be the first new movie that people go to see in 2020. Which, and you know it's going to make a lot of money because people are going to be antsy. Well, maybe. But I'm just saying, isn't it funny that it kept getting pushed, but maybe it's because it was Destiny that it was supposed to be the movie that brought people back to the theater, oh Ryan. Oh, my God. And dude, could you imagine if this thing opened and actually opened to bonkers money? <laughs> I this, think... That would be insane. I'd love it, but, yeah, you know. I think whatever movie opens in theaters here domestically in the u.s is going to make stupid money because people are going to be 
yeah almost de- like us we're desperate to go see a movie in theaters mm-hmm. i don't want to say other people are desperate to do that because i don't want to speak for other people but yeah i feel like that's what's going to happen is people are just going to be mm-hmm. so antsy about going out and seeing a movie and they're going to make stupid money because of it and, and i think that some people are just going to go out and then mm-hmm. they're going to see like oh my god the movie theater's open they'll go in you have anything new and then and like you said maybe it's destined for new mutants because they've dumped so much money into that it's it's probably lost a lot of money more than what it's worth. But if you release it on the opening weekend that theaters open up, you might see some of that back mm-hmm. and because well, and, people are just going to be so antsy. Yeah. And luckily with Disney, when they bought Fox, they kind of just inherited the money that was already spent. Mm-hmm. And apparently they never did the reshoots on it. So they didn't spend. Disney hasn't really just some marketing, but they haven't really. But they collected the debts for it as it, well. They so. did. That's very true. But at the same time, I think that there's 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 people that are sitting at Disney where the moment that movie has its opening weekend, they're all going to get drunk in their office of just like, finally, <laughs> we got it out in theaters. Yeah. And I'm so we should just one day just do a whole video about like the new mutants and all that. When stuff. was that movie supposed to come out? April of 2018. The first trailer came out in 2017. My Lord. Yeah, it's nuts. And I may or may not have a poster for the original release date. But uh, that was a horrible wink. Look like I was having a heart attack. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So moving on to the next section of our show, this is called classic movie reviews. What, what's a classic to us? A classic is a movie that is at least twenty five years old, is in high critical standing, and has a high you know number of followers around it. And this time we picked The Goonies for our classic movie to review. Ryan. Let's get right into this, shall we? Overall thoughts on The Goonies, directed by <laughs> Richard Donner, produced by Steven Spielberg. Ah, oh, boy. Yeah, no, it's definitely fun. Um, overall, I loved the movie, but there were moments while watching it where I was like, okay, like this may be a little too much. And you even had moments like that, yeah. I believe. And it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's definitely geared more towards like the kids' adventure, kind of like how E.T. is geared towards like a yeah. more uh, ch- uh, childish audience. Mm-hmm. But still, I was able to enjoy it for what it was. Um, I had a lot of fun watching it. But again, there were moments where I was like, mm, I don't, I'm not so sure about that one. What about you? What are your kind of general thoughts about it? Um, I I don't dislike the movie, but I also don't love it as a lot of other people do mm-hmm. i do think if i saw it as a kid because i just recently watched it for the first time i think if i saw it as a kid i would have liked it a lot more yeah but i don't think it's a bad film at all you know um richard donner is a fantastic director and there are times in this movie especially in its second and third act where it genu- you genuinely feel like this is an adventure film and you're having fun with these characters mm-hmm. there, there are also moments of you know especially in sean austin's performance there's moments of like serious character drama mm-hmm. amongst the children although a lot of it's used for laughs um, I think the only like really things the movie suffers from is some of it's good cheesy, some of it's bad cheesy, some of it's just stuff that didn't age well from being from the 80s, which happens with some movies. And some of it is, I didn't really feel like I knew the kids before the adventure started. Mm-hmm. Like They kind of just opened up and went on the adventure. You knew a little bit about Sean Austin and his family dynamic, you know, with the his home being foreclosed on and then wanting to find money. And I thought that, you know, how they discovered the treasure map and all that was very just quickly put in there and not really didn't naturally really flow with the story. Mm-hmm. And I know when you make a kid's film to the kids, it's not as important, but you know, for the adults that are bringing them or for when you're grown up, you know, you'll find movies like you mentioned ET where you find that the script is actually really tight, even though it's geared towards children and that's possible. And it could have still been done better. 
although the film does have a lot of fun moments it has mm-hmm. moments of pure joy you know the hey you guys at the end like it's it's great Richard Donner references Superman which blatantly obvious blatantly and it's great and uh, Chris Columbus who wrote the script references Gremlins who mm-hmm. he also wrote Gremlins uh, you know just fun stuff all around like I said, I've said it like four times now, but I do like Richard Donner a lot as a director. Mm-hmm. He's made heartfelt films like The Goonies and Superman. He's also made films that scared the hell out of me, like The Omen. He's just really talented. Mm-hmm. And he does show off a lot of his skills in this movie. But at the same time, there are also some moments where just a lot of stuff is happening. Like, I almost didn't like the sound mixing. And that might sound like a minute complaint. Yeah. But sometimes when everyone's talking... Usually, when everyone's talking, you can still hear like what they're saying and like the point of the argument. But sometimes it was just voices, and well, I see, couldn't really because I noticed that too. But yeah. what I took away from that was like if you're a child going on this adventure looking for lost treasure and a lost mm-hmm. pirate based off of a rumor, everyone is going to be talking over each other because they don't know what's happening, mm-hmm. and we can't hear them just like they don't know what's happening. So that's kind of how I took it. Yeah. Um, I could see that, but it, it was mildly annoying to me. Yeah, and that's totally understandable. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. makes film subjective. You know, yeah. I just... I, I didn't see it as a negative personally. I just saw it as like, these are kids. If I was in that situation, their age, I would probably talk over each other and wouldn't know what I'm saying and wouldn't know what he's saying either. Yeah. Just because we'd be so lost and confused and like... Mm-hmm. you know wanting to see this treasure yeah i see that and you know um the set design is great for this movie especially, especially with the, the pirate ship especially the pirate ship um the makeup effects are pretty good i mean some of it's a lot but it doesn't necessarily look bad mm-hmm. um you know there, there are some dark implications that are just funny when you think about them but the movie kind of doesn't want you to think about them yeah you know, like that family that just has the sloth as prisoner it's just like uh, okay yeah it's like super and, dark yeah yeah, but uh, a lot of you know fun, memorable performances from the kids. But uh, either way, I, I do think it's a re- it was a really fun movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily, and I can see why it's a classic. But I don't necessarily have that. It doesn't necessarily have that place in my heart that a lot of these other classics have. Uh, so, what's going to be your uh, overall grade for the Goonies or rating? Uh, I'd give it three and a half stars out of five. Okay. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it, but like one thing that just bothered the hell out of me is whenever they go into this house. And mm-hmm. they go into the basement. They're banging on the foundation pipes. And it, like, goes to a prison. It goes to a country club water fountain uh, and the showers as well. But whenever they set up the shot for where they're at, it's, like, on a cliff in the middle of nowhere that they rode bikes to on the side of a mountain and somehow banging on these foundation pipes. Like, just stuff like that mm-hmm. I just couldn't buy yeah. into. But as a kid, you know, watching that, you don't really care. You think it's funny. Yeah. Um, but just like stuff like that happened throughout the movie, which really mm-hmm. brought it down for me. But overall, a lot of fun, very adventurous, um, but three and a half stars out of five. What about you? Yeah. Um, not, now that you bring that up, something that bothered me before I gave my final grade was yeah. that there's this, I didn't like the f- opening all that much, like especially just a lot, of, a lot of the setup of the movie I thought was kind of weak. Okay. But the... Uh, Especially when Sean Austin like has this mechanism for opening his gate, and it's really complicated and weird. When someone could just easily go and open the gate, and I was like, "All right, that's weird." But then in my head, I was like, "Oh, maybe they're setting up something for Sean Austin where he's going to be like this, you know, architectural genius and help them get out of a situation later." And that's how they wanted to set it up. And I was like, "Okay," but then you watch the movie, and it never gets paid off. It's just this weird mechanism he had for opening his door, and yeah. I was like. That was dumb. And it would make sense if he was... I uh, can't remember the kid's name or the, uh, the character's name, but Short Round is yeah, in yeah. this movie. Mm-hmm. And if he had those like gadgets and stuff yeah, that Short that Round had... that would have made more sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but it didn't. But overall, I'm going to give uh, the Goonies a B. Okay. Kind of bad. Just, yeah, thought it was okay. 
But, uh, but yes, thanks for the recommendation on The Goonies. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have more classic movie reviews for you on the next show. So, Ryan, um, do you have any hot takes for us today? Yeah, so the hot take I have is uh, the movie that either wins the most awards or wins the most prestigious awards isn't always the best film. Uh, not necessarily that it ages well, but that it there are other movies that may have been more deserving. So I wanted to take a look, uh, speaking strictly just on Best Picture winners yeah, yeah. in the past few years. Um, obviously, this past year, Parasite won. I think that one was the best film of the Best Picture nominees. Okay. Um, taking a look at 2018, Green Book won. Now, I know a lot of people, I haven't watched it all the way through, but a lot of people thought that Black Klansman was the best movie of that year. Even Roma, I've heard. Yeah, you know. which, I mean, I watched Roma, which I, I would argue Roma is probably just as good, if not better, than Green Book. Mm-hmm. Um, but my personal favorite would be The Favorite. Uh, I thought that movie was mm-hmm. definitely better than a lot of these other movies on here. Um, but it's not always the best movie that wins. Um, and then taking a look at 2017, The Shape of Water, which you have Get Out, which was absolutely groundbreaking when it came out. Um, you also have Dunkirk, which is fantastic and honestly only gets better with rewatches. Three billboards, too. Uh, yeah, three billboards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't seen that movie. Um, but taking a look at 2016, I'll just go to 2015 yeah. uh, just to get the point across. But 2016, yeah. you have Moonlight that won. I haven't seen that one, but famously, you have the Moonlight versus La La Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know people who have seen both Moonlight and La La Land, and they still believe that La La Land should have won. Uh, but you also have Arrival that came out that year, Hell or High Water, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Hidden Figures, Lion, and Manchester by the Sea. But of those, I would say uh, La La Land is definitely the one that deserves the most prestigious award just because I think that was the best film that was presented. And then 2015, you have Spotlight, The Big Short, um, well, a bunch of other movies, but Spotlight is the one that won uh, Best Picture. And just from these ones, I would definitely say The Revenant is by far the best that came out in 2015 of the nominations. So, the, So don't go looking at movies like oh this one best picture it has to be good well just because it won best picture doesn't necessarily mean it is the best movie of that year it just means that it happened to win that award whether it's true or not that it is the best picture or not Mm. um so i mean you know as film is subjective so are the oscars you know people voting on them they think this movie is the best so they're going to give the award to that movie uh so that was kind of my take i didn't know if you had any thoughts on that um if movies winning awards talks about its prestige as a film uh no i uh i agree with you um you know i i don't generally have a problem with movies winning best picture if i don't think they're the best as long as it's a great movie but um i do agree that and one thing that is apparent in these type of things is just over time Mm -hmm. sometimes you know you watch a film one year and then you watch it again 10 years later and you're like wow that film was a lot better than i remember it being mm-hmm. and you can go way in the past at oscars and be like oh wow that film went over that film that's interesting i mean i like both but i think that film's much better and sometimes it's all about public opinion some and you know as we point out in each oscar year that happens it becomes cool to hate a movie right away mm-hmm. that's a big oscar contender um but yeah no i in terms of what you said i completely agree and that um just because a movie won best picture doesn't mean it you have to see it as the best of those movies. It, it kind of relates back to the subjectivity of film we've talked about mm-hmm. a couple times before in the show. Uh, but yeah, no, I I, actually, I agree with that sentiment a lot. Yeah, and most and most famously is 
Crash winning over um, Brokeback Mountain, it was, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and Shakespeare in Love winning over Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, so it's like, just because a movie wins Best Picture doesn't mean it, like you said, either ages well mm-hmm. or it was the best of that year. And, you know, Brokeback Mountain was the movie that was cool to hate that year, which is mm-hmm. ultimately why it got snubbed Yeah, it was Crash the, It was the gay cowboy movie. Which is a shame, because, I mean, I haven't seen it personally, but I've only heard yeah, good things same, about I've it. I've only heard great things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but what about you? What, what's your what's your uh, hot take that you wanted to bring to the table? Uh, my hot take. Uh, I'm gonna, I have a broad one, but then I'll use a specific example. Okay. Uh, my hot take is: while film is subjective, there are a lot of filmmaking techniques that are people decide to love or hate. And I don't think the technique should be hated. I think it's how the technique is used. Very broad. Let me get specific. Okay. My example is shaky cam. Okay. You ask any person normally who, or especially when he's into movies, how do you feel about shaky cam? God, I hate shaky cam. I think it's the worst. I can't, I can't stand when you know there's shaky cam in a movie. Where I think the right answer is, I hate shaky cam when it's not used properly. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with that specific example, it's like that all the time. It's used improperly quite frequently. Um, I, off the top of my head, I can think of two examples of shaky cam being used in sort of a proper sense. Um, those being the Bourne trilogy, the original Bourne trilogy, um, use shaky cam in a very effective way. And by the way, shaky cam is different from handheld, but we'll get into that another time. But uh, the fight scenes in the Bourne trilogy do utilize shaky cam, but they utilize shaky cam to set the atmosphere. You can still tell that the choreography and the cinematography behind the action scenes are well-planned and well-thought-out, and you can still see through the editing what is actually going on into the scene. Mm-hmm. What shaky cam became in action movies after Bourne is it became this thing that you used to hide poor stunt choreography or poor cinematography. You would edit it really quickly and shake the camera so that people couldn't really tell what was happening, and then they would just know that somebody won or somebody lost. Especially in, like, Taken 3 has a really bad examples of shaky cam in that movie. But I think that the overall concept of shaky cam is still somewhat of a good idea. Mm-hmm. Another example I can think of is the movie First Man, which I really love, the movie Damien Giselle directed with Ryan Gosling about Neil Armstrong and the landing on the moon. Uh, Damien Chazelle made the conscious choice to rarely show like actual space. He only shows it when they actually land on the moon. Every other time he shows it, it's through a window. He he wanted to focus on the claustrophobia of being in that spaceship and taking off. And he utilizes shaky cam to emphasize you know the hell that he's in when the ship takes off and the camera shakes and he's about to pass out and has to click the right button. It was almost putting you in the shoes of Neil Armstrong in that moment and what that idea looked like. Mm-hmm. But it was shaky cam, but it was shaky cam used to the perfect way it should have been used for the atmosphere, not to hide something. So I, I want to you know broaden people's horizons on, you know before you hate on a certain technique, make sure you've seen that technique properly utilized. Because something that I, because my opinion kind of changed on this, a technique that I used to hate in movies is the technique where they strap a camera to somebody and it's on their face. Mm-hmm. So while they're running, it's just kind of going like this. Kind of like the um, oh, King Arthur director, what, Guy Ritchie. The, yeah, the Guy he, Ritchie he thing? He does it from the side, okay. which, which I like. But there was one like that's on the front, and I used to hate that technique. I was like, why would anyone use that technique? But then I saw a movie called Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. And they used that in that movie. And in that movie, that technique was so effective that it actually scared me. There's a scene where Marlon Wayans is tripping out or running away from, I think it's cops, and they use that camera angle the whole time he's running. And you can kind of just get in his head of, like, how he's feeling and, you know, just the unsettling nature of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it was perfectly summed up by that camera technique. And I was like, wow, 
I see why that was the right thing to use in that moment. And that's what sort of changed my idea of just specifically hitting on a technique just because you've seen it used wrong Mm -hmm. a certain number of times. So that's my hot take is just because a certain technique has been used wrong in many ways doesn't mean that the technique itself sucks. It's just about how the technique is used. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I will say I'm a firm believer and I hate shaky cam, but the only time I've ever seen shaky cam used properly was in First Man, mm-hmm. and I absolutely loved the way it was used. So I will have to say after hearing your argument, I do change my stance on it that mm-hmm. I think hating the use of the technique because you can use it great or you can use it poorly uh and you should hate the way it's used not hate the idea behind it yeah uh, but i haven't seen the born trilogy because every time i've seen shaky cam is for yeah mm-hmm. exactly because i can't tell what's happening i'd rather i'd rather watch the choreography and watch the action but the, like mm-hmm. you said they use shaky cam to hide poor choreography or just to quickly get action scenes mm-hmm. done that i don't have to spend a lot of time on that um but I, I will say you have swayed me on my opinion on that. So thank you for bringing that hot take to the table. No problem. Wow, I got to call my mom later. <laughs> <laughs> you did the thing. I did the thing. Uh, so now we're going to move on to our next section of the show called Franchise Spotlight. What is that? Well, every week Ryan and I like to break down a movie franchise movie by movie and give our overall thoughts and opinions and grades about each entry individually. Now, normally we can do an entire franchise, but if it's over five movies, we decide to kind of split them up. And this time, we've tackled the Harry Potter franchise. We probably won't do Fantastic Beasts, we're still deciding on that, but we're going to go the first three, the next three, and then the last two. So, here is our breakdown of the first three Harry Potter films. Ryan, I'll let you take this away first. Yeah, so the first one... uh philosopher's stone sorcerer's Sorcerer's stone Stone. and it's philosopher in the uk and then sorcerer in america Uh, because they mean different things and yeah words it's a whole bag of worms but yeah go ahead so sorcerer's stone uh i watched it for the first time all the way through in the past few days Uh, i will say it's not really my thing you know Mm -hmm. um but i can take some massive positive takeaways from this some do tell absolute pure magic that happens pun intended Uh, yeah it truly (laughs) was uh for example when harry gets the wand that works for him because they try out multiple wands and then he gets the one that connects with him and like he has that magical glow behind him the score comes in Uh, okay john williams the score throughout the whole movie Mm -hmm. is definitely the biggest positive Mm -hmm. um and then seeing Hogwarts for the first time because you uh, have an aerial view of boats and then it pans up and you see all the boats and all the lanterns as you go up to uh, Hogwarts. And just that is so magical. Just even, you know, being 23 years old and watching this movie that is geared more towards kids and that uh, demographic. But it's just it's magical. Uh, a lot of the things didn't age well, like the CG, mm-hmm. uh, the green screen. Uh, during the Quidditch, they used a lot of... Um, animations for the people instead of superimposing them or just using them on a green screen which didn't age well uh quidditch i think is stupid (laughs) but i know that it becomes bigger as the movies go on um but like harry potter is supposed to go after the snitch but in the first movie he's just kind of like sitting around sitting around for five minutes before he even like attempts to go after the golden snitch which i understand he's young and it's his first quidditch game and he may be nervous or whatever but it's just maybe do something help the team you know but uh ultimately i enjoyed it for the magical moments but uh for the rest of the movie it just 
felt kind of dull for me. What about you? Uh, I like the movie a little bit more than you do. Okay. However, um, I do agree that with the first couple entries in the franchise, it's more geared towards children. Mm -hmm. And um, a a scene in particular that I'd think of to point that out is when him and Malfoy are like fucking with each other on the brooms and then he actually catches something and brings it back and is holding it and all the kids are cheering. I'm just like, okay, that's kind of childish. But it does excellent world building in this movie. Mm -hmm. You can tell that they're laying the groundwork for something great. And um, that's something that the books did, and that's something I think that the movie, this, the first movie, does great as well. I love the performances of each kid, you know, Daniel Radcliffe, um, Emma Watson, and uh, Rupert Grint, I believe is his name. Um, I think that, you know, building the dynamic between, you know, Ron, Harry, and Hermione, and the antagonism of Draco Malfoy, and, you know, you get Alan Rickman as Snape, great performance, uh, you get a lot of... Interesting set pieces. I love the giant chess board. I thought that was really cool. You liked that? I did. I it's silly and it's for kids, but I love it. I liked I, it. I liked the design of it, but mm-hmm. they spent so much time on the game itself. I was like, man, they really should just cut this out or like just cut to the end because mm-hmm. that scene did not work for me at all. I found that actually is a big negative. Yeah. I also saw it when I was Right, so, so you have a yeah. better connection to it than I do. Exactly, but uh, but I but growing up and rewatching it, you know, you do kind of see like, oh, okay, the franchise evolves from here, and they do the smart thing of like, right, we're gonna pick a demographic and then we're gonna make the movie for that demographic all the way through to the end, mm-hmm. and uh, which was a good idea. But overall, I think that the film is. I love Hagrid so much. The performance is great, mm-hmm. and just everything about that character and i like the overall backstory with harry potter and you know living under the steps of the you know uncle aunt and uncle's house you know the very very hero's journey with him and they what the hell why does that happen from time to time i don't know but it's wizards and witches this time no kidding no but uh you also get um the you know the hero's journey with him both in this movie and you can tell it's going to be planted for later on and also um the actual like effects with the wands i think is pretty cool and that those increase you mm-hmm. know over the franchise but uh i like the film um but i do think that i do agree with you a little bit in that it's mostly aimed towards kids and that you know you'll see as you watch them if the franchise does get better but let's go ahead and move, go ahead and move on to the second film mm-hmm. which i actually think is weaker than the first film but a lot of the people i talk to like it more uh, what, are, what are your overall thoughts? Wow, I actually think it's weaker than the first movie as well. Okay. Uh, again, I think it's still childish, but again, they came out, I think, a year apart. Yeah, so they did. They it's did. not like they're going to be aging much, because I know from the second to the third one, there's a bigger uh, age jump. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still feels childish. It, it It's still laying out the groundwork, because that's something that I've seen with like franchises or even like most famously let's take dc they know that they're going to make a franchise they know they're going to make a world and somehow screw the pooch but uh harry potter they knew that they were going to be making multiple films so they didn't spend too much on everything else they wanted to focus on uh one thing and they drop a little bit about harry's backstory in Mm -hmm. every movie it feels like which is great because like Mm -hmm. then it's like okay what the the hole goes deeper than what I initially thought because in yeah. one movie you're told one thing, and then in the second movie they'll build off that one thing. And be like, no, it's not actually like that. It's a little bit different than yeah. what you think. And I think that Harry mm. Potter does that fantastic. It's kind of like Darth Vader killed your father, sort of. He's actually it's kind yeah, of yeah, like it's that. exactly yeah, like yeah. that. And I think that they do that fantastically. And I I I can't wait to watch. Mm-hmm. the whole because i haven't seen oh you get some tea you get some tea my which guy. i'm excited about because yeah. uh 
to all the people out there who are watching this, I haven't seen the whole franchise all the way through before. He's only seen the first three. Yeah. Well, right now, yes, I've only mm-hmm. seen the first three. Uh, however, I've seen like maybe clips, but I couldn't tell you anything from the clips because it didn't mean anything to me mm-hmm. uh, at the time. But I'm very excited to see how the story unravels mm-hmm. and see where the story goes. Because I, for, just from what I've seen, just from the first three movies, like I said, Harry Potter's story, it's like, this is what happened. Well, not quite this is actually what happened. So, yeah. like, mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen with him. But mm-hmm. the second movie builds off the first movie good in that aspect. But as a movie as a whole, I think is weaker than the first one. Uh, I agree with that statement. But I, I also agree that it does build certain key story and world world building elements better. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny Weasley gets introduced in the movie. And, you know, I think that she's an interesting character. You know, Ron, you get more of Ron's family. You get more of mm-hmm. introduced to that world. You get a lot more co- comedic bits in the film, which I think work good for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you get more of a focus on, you know, Tom Riddle and Voldemort and, you know, who that is, even though, you know, anagrams, what? But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, I, I, snakes are creepy, right? And as yeah. a kid, it was scary. When he stabs the fucking thing through the mouth, thought that was awesome. You know, uh, Moaning Myrtle is annoying. But- annoying as hell. Oh, my <laughs> God. No wonder why nobody fucking liked you. Exactly. <laughs> complaining all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought that pe- people getting petrified, especially as a kid, was really scary. And I didn't know what petrified meant. So when I was, like, really little and they said they'd been petrified, I was like, that's a big fucking word. That means something bad's going on. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, I think the movie does do some things well. But I think mm-hmm. overall it didn't have that first time being introduced to this world glaze over mm-hmm. it. And they didn't do enough with the expansion of the story to quite be as good as the first movie. But I don't think it's a bad movie either. Um, I'm really excited to go ahead and just get in on this third movie, though. Yeah, go ahead. Take it right off the top. So um, this third movie is great like i think it is great it's excellent it's directed by alfonso coran so they took the first two movies made by chris columbus you know home alone you know nice little tone and touch to it then they got alfonso coran who you know would go on to make movies like roma gravity and made movies like children of men you know one of the greatest living directors today they were like here here's harry potter and he was like oh here here's a great fucking movie (laughs) and it was so well done uh gary oldman a serious black great performance Mm -hmm. and the actor's name is leaving me but professor lupin the wolfy boy Mm -hmm. thought he did excellent that whole sequence where they're doing the fears and just the storytelling with which is fantastic so well done uh the dementors are fucking scary as hell and we get a new dumbledore we get a new dumbledore because unfortunately the original actor passed away however i do like michael gammon better in the role Mm -hmm. i thought that immediately his chemistry with the other characters and his own personality kind of shined out a little bit more um and like you said with building harry's backstory harry kind of believed one thing growing up about sirius black and then finds out a completely different thing um, I love the Moritor's map, and you see people... Walk, and it, it, it's used as a tool for suspense as mm-hmm. well. Such a great tool. Um, I think that this was a huge step up for the franchise. I liked the other two movies, but this was the movie that kind of stamped it as like a boom. We're here, and we're not fucking going anywhere. Yeah. And it, I think it's a fantastic movie. Um, I also love the dynamic with the actors more. Oh, and fucking time travel excellent i'm a slut for time travel i love time travel and this has my favorite type of time travel ryan what's that the kind that you don't fucking explain and you just do it that's my favorite kind of time travel and i loved it Mm -hmm. loved it um i thought that hermione emma watson was a standout in this movie i think her performance in this film 
kind of was even better than Daniel Ratcliffe's and mm-hmm. um, Rupert Grint's. Really, really great performance. Great movie. I keep saying the same thing about how much I love this movie, but it's I no, do. It's fantastic. And um, you get a lot of sad things. You know, you get Hagrid and the Hippogriff. You kind of get that unfortunate thing and his bond with that creature. Mm-hmm. Um, tons of great things. And we through all three of these movies, the set design is stupid. The costume designs are great. By stupid, I mean stupid good. And just, you know, this continues here and even on a bigger scale. The CGI jumped and jumped an improvement with this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still early, but it's better. Yeah. And you get just a lot more personal storytelling. Which with, I think is a major plus because yes. he wanted to take advantage of that because of all the world building that was done in the previous two installments. Yes. That you don't have to focus on magic as much. You can get down to the nitty gritty of the hero's journey harry potter's story and his backstory and his involvement with Sirius black and Mm -hmm. how all that unfolds um i like you i echo everything you just said i think this movie is fantastic it's definitely a lot different than the other two movies Mm -hmm. which i think is only a plus because and i think it's especially because of the director change up from mm -hmm. that to this yeah absolutely yeah and you know you see the actors themselves getting older like i said this is a big uh, age jump from the first to second mm-hmm. from second to third like there's a bigger age gap there uh, i don't know if that made sense but it made sense in my head that's in, all that matters in the movie there you're older but in real life you can tell the actors are growing up correct yes mm-hmm. um which it makes sense to take a darker tone to this movie because when you look at the audience They're uh, getting older correct mm-hmm. so you don't want to make like a kid's movie for the same audience you want to make a movie that like you said pick a demographic them mm-hmm. and we're gonna grow up with them and it works fantastic mm-hmm. uh, i do remember trying to watch this movie as a kid but like the dementors scared the shit out of me <laughs> yeah. like i was like mm, nah, nah yeah. i'm good yeah um but re- upon rewatch i think it's fantastic definitely stands out further than the other two do mm-hmm. oh yeah for sure yeah and uh and even for the rest of the franchise this is high up for me this third movie oh yeah yeah Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very fascinating. But mm-hmm. do you want to give the grades now? Or do you want to wait till the whole franchise is done? No, we we can give grades now. Let's right, go fine. ahead. Uh, just go from one to three, giving your grade for each, and then after the whole franchise, I guess we'll yeah. go ahead we'll, and rank them. We'll, we'll rank them at when we're completely done. Yeah. Um, my grades are going to go as such: one and two both get B pluses. Um, I like one more than two, but I they have the same grade. And Harry Potter three: Prisoner of Azkaban. A fucking plus. Really? I love the movie that much. Wow. I love Harry Potter. I'm excited to see how the rest of this franchise goes. Yes. And you'll you'll get... There are more than one A plus in my... Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, well, and before you do it really quick, we didn't even mention, obviously, the idea of Azkaban is fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Like, the prison where they keep all the, like, really bad, like... And the Dementors are, like, the prison guards, if you will. Awesome. Awesome. Anyway, go ahead and give your grades for the uh, franchise. Yeah, yeah. So far. So far? Uh... One and two have the same rank for me. Three stars out of five. Um, they're magical. They're mm-hmm. cute, I guess, if you want to say that. Yeah. Um, but the third installment, Prisoner of Azkaban, gets four stars. Yes. So definitely yes. head in the right direction. Uh, what's next? Goblet of Fire. That is the very next one. Next, we're going to do Goblet of Fighter. Go- Jesus. Fighter. <laughs> Goblet of Fighter. I did it again. <laughs> Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix. Half-Blood Prince. We're doing those next. Okay. Wow. Very, very exciting to see how this uh, whole story Me unfolds because they're building Voldemort up to be this big bad guy, but yeah. I don't know nothing about him. He'll see soon. 
uh, make sure you keep in tune with us on that, and you know we'll see how his opinion of the franchise grows as it keeps going, and you'll get to hear how I rank him as well. So that'll be interesting. Oh, I did want to say one last thing. Yes. It seems like they're focusing a lot on Gryffindor and Slytherin. I hope they get into more of the other houses, but... Uh... Because, <laughs> like, right now they're painting Slytherin as, like, the bad guys, but Harry's, like, the direct descendant of the original Slytherin, so it's like, what the fuck's happening? Yeah. We'll see. Like you said. We'll see. Yeah. Because the other houses uh, look pretty lame compared to Gryffindor and Slytherin. My, my favorite which, thing is... Seeing in pop culture, like, everyone's like, oh, I'm Gryffindor, I'm Slytherin, which, like... Yeah, you want to be part of the popular one, but, like, what about Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff? Like, I hope they just don't get shafted. Dude, do you know how many dates I've been on where the girl's like, so what Harry Potter house are you in? And I'm just like, fucking God. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love the movies, but that's just... Don't do that on dates. Male or female, it's annoying. I promise you. It's annoying. Um, God, giving out life advice. Oh, last thing about Harry Potter. Yeah. I love Dumbledore at the end of the movies where he's like, what, Harry blew his nose? 100 points for Gryffindor. Yeah, right. So great. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. And for the last bit on our show, this is a new bit that I am going to introduce. I noticed I was talking fast again. Slow it down. There you go. Slow it down. Um, We decided to look back into the history of the Academy Awards, look at all the nominations and winners, and decide... Nah, we're going to decide and do them ourselves. So this time we took a look at the 2008 Academy Awards and we're going to rearrange some things and kind of get a final opinion as to how we would have handled the Academy Awards in 2008 if we were in charge. Well, technically 2009 awards for the 2008 movies. So uh, a couple changes that I made. Well, before we get into the changes, let's lay out some of the groundworks for what we can and cannot do. Yes. Um, So we agreed... That we could change a nomination or win if we had seen those movies. Yes, but movies we hadn't seen had to stay. Correct, because mm-hmm. if you don't see it, you don't have an opinion on exactly. it. Exactly. Um, but I will say, looking back at these Oscars, I have not seen <laughs> many of these movies that were nominated. So I will say uh, I didn't really change much. I did add a few mm-hmm. uh, to the best picture, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, but so a lot of the things I will be saying is going to be echoed from, uh, Dalton and his standpoint, and I will chime in on his opinion. Um, but it's a shame I haven't seen like all the best picture nominations. Haven't seen them. All the best director. Haven't seen those movies. So couldn't change anything. So what the hell do I know? You know, good shit. Good shit. But let's get into your changes. All right. Uh, usually I wait for the end for best picture, but we're going to start with that bitch today. What? Oh yeah. Best picture. Oh, and we also modernized how it works yes so we combined the sound categories and we gave 10 nominees to best picture instead of five an interesting fact um dark knight not getting nominated in 2008 is one of the reasons why they extended it past five so naturally for my list of best picture nominees the dark knight (laughs) Uh, frost nixon milk the reader slumdog millionaire gran torino changeling changeling wally the curious case of benjamin button and the wrestler I had not seen The Reader, so I had to leave that there. And mm-hmm. you'll see that again throughout the entire list. But, uh, but yeah. Um, but you kept a lot of the nominations and left did, them in I, Best I, Picture. I kept, yeah, I kept all five. I just added five more. Mm-hmm. Um, and my winner for Best Picture is The Dark Knight. Because surprise, it surprise. Because it was the best fucking movie of that year. 
and it bothers me to this day. So much so. It was the best movie, so much so that they literally changed the Oscars. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, um, your thoughts on that, and what would you choose for a Best Picture win out of those? I know you haven't seen a whole ton of them. Uh, from those, definitely uh, Dark Knight, but this is the one category I could add to because we extended it to 10 nomination, mm-hmm. um, up to 10. I only did up to 8 because... Uh, just even in 2008 movies, I haven't seen that many. And the ones I have seen, it's like Meet the Spartans and like <laughs> all these stupid movies that Best definitely picture. aren't. Yeah, they're not going to touch the Oscars. Um, but I kept the original five in Slumdog Millionaire, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost, Nixon, Milk, The Reader. Uh, but I did, like you, add The Dark Knight. I still have Dark Knight winning regardless. Um, but yeah. Dark Knight's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you don't let that movie win. Yeah, and the the original nominees were Slumdog Millionaire, Curious Case, Benjamin Button, Frost, Nixon, Milk, and The Reader, and Slumdog Millionaire won. I think that's a good movie. Did not deserve to win, especially out of those nominees. Yeah. Irregardless, <laughs> moving oh on. Um, best Director. Mm-hmm. The original nominees were Danny Boyle for Slumdog Millionaire, David Fincher for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Ron Howard for Frost, Nixon, Gus Van Sant for Milk, and Stephen Daltrey for The Reader. I changed two nominations. Okay. Here are the ones I kept. Ron Howard for Frost Nixon. Good, because he's Ron Howard. Yes. We love him. Stephen Daltrey for The Reader, because I have not seen The Reader. Okay. David Fincher for Benjamin Button. And I took out Gus Van Sant for Milk. I like Gus Van Sant as a filmmaker. I like Milk the movie. But I think this nomination belonged to Clint Eastwood for Gran Torino. Okay. I love that film. I think his performance is good, but I think his directing job is even better. Mm-hmm. And I think that he deserved a spot on this list. And then I also changed Danny Boyle, the person who originally won. And I love Danny Boyle. No, Nothing against Danny Boyle. And I replaced him with Christopher Nolan for The Dark Knight. And uh, surprise, surprise, I gave the award to Christopher Nolan for The Dark Knight. Um, that's how I saw, kind of saw it playing out. Do you have anything that you wanted to add to that? I mean, if we're going based off your nominations, I definitely think Christopher Nolan is the mm-hmm. clear winner, uh, especially since his movie, again, changed the Oscars forever. Yep. Um, but I think he, I think that movie transcends a comic book movie, so much so that it should be a Best Picture winner. But I, I mean, I'm happy Danny Boyle actually won because I love Danny Boyle. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know... I support Christopher Nolan winning. I think it's well-deserved. I think he doesn't get the award love that he gets, and that goes into my hot take. Oh, yes. You're right. You're right. Um, we're going to go ahead and move, move on to Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Best Actor. Um, the original nominees were Sean Penn for Milk, Richard Jenkins in The Visitor, Frank Lagella in Frost Nixon, Brad Pitt in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler. Uh, I did the... Who won that one? Sean Penn won Sean for Penn, Milk. okay. I did the exact same, except I replaced one. Okay. I replaced Frank Lagella for Frost Nixon, and I replaced him with Tom Cruise for the movie Valkyrie. Okay. I love that movie, and a lot of people don't like that movie, but I think it's fantastic, and I think that Tom Cruise gave an excellent performance in it, although he's mocked for his accent. I thought the accent was fine, and when mm-hmm. I first saw it, the movie like blew my mind. I really like that movie. I'll stand by my opinion. Yeah. I think it's great. And um, this was tough for me because uh, Sean Penn is excellent in Milk, but I also really, really liked Mickey Rourke and The Wrestler. I think The Wrestler is a fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. But I did keep the Academy's recommendation, I'll call it, and I uh, 
made Sean Penn the winner for Milk because his performance is excellent in that film. Okay. But it was a close between him and Mickey Rourke. I did have to battle in my brain for that. Yeah. Yep. Anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, pretty much what you said. I love Valkyrie as a movie. I think Tom Cruise does a fantastic job in it, so I wouldn't be surprised if he was nominated for that role. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And now we'll go on to Best Actress. Here are the original nominees. Kate Winslet for The Reader. Anne Hathaway for Rachel Getting Married. Angelina Jolie for Changeling. Melissa Leo for Frozen River. And Meryl Streep for Doubt. Mm-hmm. And who won? Kate Winslet originally won for okay. The Reader. Um, here are the nominees that... I had. Um, surprise, they're the same exact ones. Because <laughs> the only movie I've seen on this list is Changeling. And surprise, surprise, I made Angelina Jolie for Changeling my winner because it's the only one I've seen. Yeah. So this one's a little bit facetious. But I do love that film. I put it in my Best Picture nominees. I love that film so much. Another Clint Eastwood. He had two bangers in 2008. But, uh, but yeah, anything you want to add to that? Nope. Haven't seen a movie. Don't really have a formal opinion on it, you know? Interessante. Yeah. Best Supporting Actor. This one was super easy. Um, Although I did change one nominee. Okay. Here are the original nominees. Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight, Josh Brolin for Milk, Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder, Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt, and Michael Shannon for Revolutionary Road. Heath Ledger infamously won for The Dark Knight. My nominees. Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight, Josh Brolin for Milk, Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder, Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt. I've seen Revolutionary Road, so I'm allowed to change that one. And while mm-hmm. Michael Shannon is fantastic, don't think he's as good as Kenneth Branagh for Valkyrie. Another one for Valkyrie. Really, really like that film. I thought Kenneth Branagh was even better than Tom Cruise. Oh, wow. However, he wasn't as good as Heath Ledger, because I gave Heath Ledger the win for this, just like the Academy did. Heath mm-hmm. Ledger wins for The Dark Knight. Anything to add for that? Um, yeah, I mean... If the actual awards played out this way, if Robert Downey Jr. got the win, I wouldn't be surprised because looking back at it in hindsight, I would say Robert Downey Jr.'s performance is just as iconic in that movie as Heath Ledger's is as He's the Joker. In Tra- in he Thunder. truly is. Um, and it it's something we've never seen before in the modern age. Yeah, and, and it was something that... It's controversial, but the movie knew that jo- it was making fun of actors. It was making fun of method actors. Yeah. And they obviously, in the movie, address what he's doing is not okay. And that he's going, you know, and he learns that by the end of the film. But just the way that he acts just as a method actor. Like he said, he's a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. Yeah. And then Robert Downey Jr. just bleeds through that performance. And it is an excellent performance in that film. Yeah. Hilarious film as well. It truly is, and uh, like I said, if Robert Downey Jr. ended up winning for that over Heath Ledger, uh, I wouldn't be surprised because I think both those roles are as iconic as each other in their respective films. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Moving on to Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. Um, the original nominees were Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Amy Adams for Doubt, Viola Davis for Doubt, Tyra P. Henson for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and Marissa Tomei for The Wrestler. My nominees stayed the same, and I've only seen Benjamin Button and The Wrestler. So I gave it to Marissa Tomei for The Wrestler, because I think she is just slightly better than Taraji P. Henson for Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And who actually won? Who actually won was Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's a little facetious, just because I haven't seen the other movies listed. But still, I've heard Doubt is great, but I've never watched it. Yeah. Well, I have no opinion again, as I haven't seen these movies. And it's really a shame that I haven't seen them, because, you know, these are awarded the best movies of the year yes Ooh, i throw a wild one in here not to win but for a nomination okay 
Best Original Screenplay. Mm-hmm. The original nominees were Milk by Dustin Lance Black, Frozen River by Courtney Hunt, Happy Go Lucky by Mike Lee, In Bruges by Martin McDowell, who I love, although I've never seen In Bruges, I feel bad, and Wally by Andrew Stanton, Jim Reardon, and Pete Docter. I have the exact and Milk won at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I have the exact same nominations because I haven't seen Frozen River, Happy Go Lucky, or In Bruges. But I replaced the script for Wally, which is a fantastic script. I kind of just did this as a stunt move because I think it's a great screenplay and wish it got more recognition. I added Forgetting Sarah Marshall by Jason Siegel. Is that the uh, rom-com with Matthew McConaughey? No, that is the movie where, with Jason Siegel where he gets dumped and it's about him trying to get over this girl while he goes to this resort and turns out the ex is at the resort. Okay. It is a hilarious movie. I just recently watched it for the first time. Hannah told me about it. I'd never seen it before. Great movie. Mm-hmm. And the script is so, so good. Not just as a comedy, but as just a, you know, building a character. And it just, it identified personally with me just being someone who has gone through a bad breakup before. Really great movie. Although I did edge out and give the award to Milk's screenplay because it is a fantastic screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, best adapted. Very interesting wild card. Yes, thank you. Best adapted screenplay. The original nominees. Slumdog Millionaire for Simon Bufoy. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button by Eric Roth and Robert Secord. Doubt by John Patrick Stanley. Frost Nixon by Peter Morgan. The Reader by David Hayer. The exact same nominees I have, but I did change the winner. Uh, The original winner was Slumdog Millionaire. Mm -hmm. I chose Frost Nixon. I really like that film. Ron Howard somehow builds suspense with two people during an interview. And the scripting of that interview and just the overall way that story is told via the script is fascinating and mm-hmm. how it is adapted from its book deserves some recognition. So I gave the award to Frost Nixon there. Okay. Interesting take. We dive deep here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, best anim- All for Ron Howard, though. All, All for, for Ron, Ron Howard. Howard. <laughs> best animated feature film. Uh, the nominees were Wally, Bolt, and Kung Fu Panda. Wally won. I'm the exact same. Wally's fantastic. Absolutely. Although good for Kung Fu Panda, getting that getting that nomination. <laughs> good for them. Yeah, right. Jeez. Uh, we did not do best foreign language film, documentary feature, documentary short, live action short, animated short, just because we, that would just be. Time crunched, yeah. yeah. Time crunch and useless because we don't really know all of that information. And I didn't want to pretend like I knew the information. That would just be silly. So we're going to go on to best original score. Here are the nominees. The actual nominees were Slumdog Millionaire by A.R. Raham, or Raman, excuse me. Curious Case of Benjamin Button by Alexandra Desplat. Defiance, James Newton Howard. Hey, Defiance. Milk, Danny Elfman. And Wally from Thomas Newman. I changed one of these little nominations. Okay. My nominees are the ones, the actual winner was Slumdog Millionaire. This fucking ice cream truck. Always. At what? Seven o'clock at night? Always. What are you doing? Always. I don't know. But uh, the act, the actual winner was Slumdog Millionaire. But uh, that is the one that I took away. <laughs> and I wow. added um, the Dark Knight score from Hans Zimmer. Because I think that score is brilliant. Fantastic is what you meant to say. However, I didn't give it the win. Wow. I gave the win to The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Alexander Desplat's score is very good in that film. And I think it does have the slight edge over the Dark Knight score. And I love the Dark Knight score. Mm-hmm. And I do think it deserves to be nominated, but I will give it to Benjamin Button for the win. Interesting that you changed it, changed the winner and gave the winner to someone else. Yes. Mm. Thank you. Interesting. You did the thing of the thing. Yeah. 
uh, best original song we skipped. We combined best sound. Mm-hmm. Here are my nominees for best sound. The Dark Knight. Iron Man. Wanted. Wally. And Taken. I added Taken. I removed Benjamin Button. And uh, I gave the winner to Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Although originally Dark Knight won sound editing and sound mixing with Slumdog Millionaire, which I also removed. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad that Wanted got Oscar nominations. Got some love somewhere. Love that movie. Um, next, we're going to go That's on. That's the movie where they bend bullets, right? Yes. It's great. God damn it. Next movie, we're going we're, we're gonna to go on to Best Art Direction. The nominees are Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Changeling, The Dark Knight, The Duchess, and Revolutionary Road. I kept the nominations, and I decided that the winner... Who was the original winner? The original one. I keep forgetting to do that. The original winner was The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Okay. And I gave it to Changeling, because I think that is a beautiful-looking movie, like Mm -hmm. I said earlier. I love that film. Next, we're going to move on to Best Cinematography. I do have the same nominations. I'll let you guys know up top, but here they are. Slumdog Millionaire by Anthony Dodd-Mantle. Changeling by Tom Stern. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Claudio Miranda. The Dark Knight. Wally Fister, and The Reader by Chris Mangus and Roger Deakins. Never seen The Reader. So obviously, the, all the nominations stay the same. Mm-hmm. The original winner was Slumdog Millionaire. I gave it to The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I think that's a beautiful looking movie. Okay. And uh, Dark Knight, close second. I feel like I'm shitting on Slumdog Millionaire. It's a good movie. I liked it, but it didn't deserve to win. All, all these, these wins, yeah. yeah. All right. Best Makeup. I kept the exact same nominations and the win. Because it's a Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Dark Knight, and Hellboy 2. And Benjamin Button obviously wins Best Makeup. Yep. Um, we also did, let's see, Best Costume Design. The original nominees were The Duchess, Australia, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Milk, and Revolutionary Road. I have the exact same, and the original winner was The Duchess. Mm-hmm. I have the exact same nominees except... I changed out Milk for Valkyrie, but winning, I had um, Benjamin Button taking the win over the Duchess, just because I haven't seen the Duchess, okay. and I think Benjamin Button does the best costumes. And last, but certainly not least, which I am glad I get to bring this up on the show in case people didn't know, best visual effects. Actually, there's two more. Uh, best visual effects. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to save that one for last then? Yes, I will. We're going to go to best film editing, okay. which I actually agree with. I have all the same nominees. The nominees were Slumdog Millionaire, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Dark Knight, Frost Nixon, and Milk. Mm-hmm. Slumdog Millionaire won. And I emphatically agree that that deserved to win Best Film Editing. It's okay. edited very well. Best Visual Effects. The one that makes me mad. Okay. Why does it make you mad? Here are the original nominees. There were only three at the time. Mm-hmm. I added two more. <laughs> 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 the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yep. The Dark Knight. And Iron Man. Benjamin Button beat Dark Knight and Iron Man. It beat Iron Man. One of the most revolutionary visual effects movies ever. Now, Benjamin Button does... It's a David Fincher movie. The way he use, uses visual effects is outstanding. You can barely tell the visual effects. But... When compared to the revolutionary shit that ILM did with Iron Man... I, I think I think this was a whack this was a whack choice. Mm-hmm. Not that the effects were bad, and like I said, David Fincher, Zodiac has a ton of CGI that's unnoticed. There are a thousand VFX shocks in the social network, and you wouldn't even know it. Mm-hmm. It's such a well done movie the way Fincher does his VFX, but I don't think it was deserved. 
My nominees are Benjamin Button. I kept it as a nomination. The Dark Knight. Iron Man. Wanted. Oh my god, there's that stupid movie. And The Incredible Hulk. What? (laughs) Yes. What is your reasoning behind that? Because the visual effects are awesome. Duh. Going from human to Hulk? Yeah. Yeah. And the fight at the end? Awesome. Great visual effects. I feel like that's just like... You're going to hate this comparison, but I feel like it's just like Endgame or Infinity War. Big CG monsters fight each other. But which that's, like, why, that's why they need a nomination for vi- visual effects. Yeah, but I'd argue that Incredible Hulk isn't deserving of this award, or this nomination, rather. I love the movie, don't get me wrong, but speaking Oops. strictly on the nomination, I would have to disagree with you on that, but mm-hmm. I, I see where you're coming from. That fucking ice cream truck is back. Regardless, um, I gave the one to Iron Man because I needed to make history right. Yeah. <laughs> and give that to Iron Man. But, but why yes. not Incredible Hulk? Because I don't think it deserved to win. I just think it deserves a nomination. Mm, okay. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, yes, those are our version, the Movie Nights version of the 2008, or damn it, 2009 Academy Awards, 2008 films. Um, that's a fun little thing that we're probably going to add to the show from now on. But um, before we go, Ryan, do you have anything that you want to add? Yeah, just, uh, you know, all the things that we're doing right now. We would love any recommendations. Uh, right now we're in the middle of a franchise, so it may be a little bit harder to get into other nominations. but mm-hmm. Or uh, other franchises. franchises sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did get one that is the X-Men, so we may get into that next. Maybe the future. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but, yeah, so any recommendations, whether it's a classic movie uh, if you have recommendations, I would say that that's probably going to be the best time to recommend it because we do one movie per uh, epi- per week, so more likely your chances of getting that your on the show are higher. Yeah, correct. Um, but yeah, so any recommendations, we'll take it. Whether it's for any one of ours, including hot takes, if you want to see our opinion on anything, go ahead. We're and all leave about it. viewer interaction. We really are, you know, trying to trying to gear towards that. Oh yeah, because uh, oh, yeah. I think it's definitely fun getting your guys' thoughts and opinions, and you know, building off that. Um, but that's that's pretty much all I have to say. Awesome. Make sure you follow us on social media at Movie Nights on Facebook at Nights underscore Movie on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, and if you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, um, please check us out on YouTube as well and give us a little subscribe. Thank you very much. Um, I think that's all we have for today's show. Yeah, pretty uh, smooth sailing. Yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.